2: I've always wondered when someone like you, since you were 13 or 14 years old, you have been kind of catered to and everybody telling you how wonderful you are and how great you are and getting into high school with the same thing. What is it like now coming to this level with the level of expectations you had? It's probably even higher than it was at Clemson. Yeah, for me, I've kind of dealt with that for a few
0: years. So it's not just not changing anything. Just continuing to be who I am um, and bringing that into a new place. Uh, I've learned so many great things at Clemson, been surrounded by great people like Coach Sweeney and the whole staff and my teammates, and actually going to bring a teammate with me, Travis. So um, just being the same person I've, I've been through the years and not changing just because, you know, now I'm in the NFL or whatever at a new place, and I think just continuing to be me is the main thing. Does pressure bother you? No, I'm used to it. Um, you know, that's that's really what I'm accustomed to now, and um, I think that's what I operate the best is under pressure.
1: You know what my dad, if he were still with us, would say in response to that clip, Peter? I know exactly what he would what? say. If Cut your hair! Cut your hand, If you got to run your hand through your hair three times while talking to one of your elders for 45 seconds, it's time to go to the barber. Peter, I once got sent back. I once got sent back to the barber by my dad because when I came home, my hair wasn't nearly short enough. I had to go back to the barber and say, can you take some more off, please? Mike,
2: I'll just say this. His hair is real and it's spectacular. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but 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 I'll also make this point. This was one of the cutest things I've seen in a while. Trevor Lawrence gets out of his vehicle. Shad Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, opens the door to his car, the back you know the back door, and out comes Marissa, his his wife, and now here comes Trevor Lawrence, and he goes, "Welcome to Jacksonville," and all of a sudden. There's a bunch of third graders who come with signs to welcome Trevor Lawrence. And he Trevor Lawrence goes, hey, how you doing, y'all? And he fist bumps all of them and everything. And one of the first questions he gets from one of these kids is, is your hair real? So, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was his welcome to Jacksonville moment. It was, it was really quite cute. But I'll say this, Mike, what I found really interesting about their draft as a whole is that This is a draft that, to me, when you take Travis Etienne, number two, and, you know, it sounds like that Urban Meyer, if he didn't get uh, Travis Etienne, or that he would not have taken Etienne if Kadarius Toney was on the board at number 25, but the Giants trumped him, basically, by taking Kadarius Toney, uh, number 20 overall. So he gets Travis Etienne, who is going to be The kind of guy out of the backfield that they hope will be a Percy Harvin type, not an every down player, but a guy who's going to be able to be that change of pace guy. And what I also found interesting is that they still have a hole at wide receiver. They wanted to get a receiver higher. They wanted to get a tight end higher. I really like Luke Farrell. I watched a lot of Justin Fields late in the year, but, and I think Luke Farrell will be a better offensive player than the Jaguars think. But be that as it may, I think they wanted this draft to be, we want to help Trevor Lawrence. And the best way we can help him is either with a game-breaking wide receiver or his good friend Travis Etienne. I really like that pick for Jacksonville.
1: I I was uh, surprised. And first of all, I do have to say this before I forget. Uh, Trevor Lawrence's dog looks exactly like our dog Macy. Exactly, like they could be from the same litter. That's how much they look alike. Uh that was an important point that I'd been waiting to make. Secondly, you mentioned the Kadarius Tony situation. I was surprised that Urban Meyer came out and said he really wanted Tony at 25 and you know, the the message to Travis Etienne is you were Yeah. Sorry, pal. You are a second choice. I really wanted this other guy that I didn't get. That just doesn't happen. And maybe it's Urban Meyer kind of feeling his way through how the NFL works, but most coaches would not say something like that.
2: That's why I really like Urban Meyer right now. Honestly, Mike, because like he said to me, remember he said to me a month ago, uh, yeah, that's the direction we're going or we're leaning or whatever. When I asked him, why don't you just make it official and say you're taking Trevor Lawrence or whatever I said. Is there any doubt you're taking Trevor Lawrence? And he gave me that little smirk and said, you know, not really, <laughs> you know. But I like the fact that someone will say, for instance, you know, was there anything that surprised you or disappointed you? Yeah, you know, we kind of hope that, that Kadarius Tony would come down to us. And look, I don't think it's impossible. I, I, I'll tell you this. I think it's possible that if Travis Etienne were still on the board that Buffalo might have taken him you know, late in the round. But it's not impossible that he would have been there high in the second round for Jacksonville. So I guess what I'm saying, Mike, is I don't think that would have precluded them from getting Travis Etienne.
1: Or some other running back. I mean, it is nice that they can reunite Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne immediately when they come to the NFL, but there are plenty of other running backs that are out there in every round of the draft. And that's the philosophical question that the Steelers and the Jaguars resolved, at least for this year, in back-to-back fashion. It picks number 24 and number 25, respectively, taking a running back in one round. People have some strong feelings about that when you can get a James Robinson, who's also on the depth chart in Jacksonville, who was undrafted. You can get an Alvin Kamara in round three, a Derrick Henry in round two, and... I'm a firm believer, Peter, if you're going to use a first-round pick on a running back, you better have a plan to have him on the field more often than part of the time. Otherwise, take someone else who is going to be on the field all of the time and get your part-time running back later.
2: No, I, I, I would disagree on that, and I'm not a big fan of taking running backs in the first round as a rule, but I think in this particular case, you know, when you look at the offense that they're going to have, all right, what are they really missing? I mean, to me, they got Marvin Jones in free agency, and I really like that. He's a little bit of a of an explosive-type guy in big downfield throws. They didn't have anybody in the backfield or in, or at tight end or in the intermediate area of the field who could really be a game wrecker. And so I think even if Travis Etienne plays... Thirty snaps a game. I think they could really be thirty impact snaps if he's used the way he should be used, which is as your Swiss Army knife explosive guy. You're gonna you're gonna split him out some, and you're gonna have him in the slot some, and he's just gonna be a regular running back. I, you know, I, I it's hard, but I think Jacksonville was in position with four picks high in this draft to take a guy. Like Travis Etienne. Now, if they had one pick in every round and they have the, a, a middle round pick, you know, in every round and they have like one pick in the top 50 and he's the 20th pick overall, then I'm not in favor really of taking a gadget guy, but they had the luxury right now because they have so many picks of taking a guy like that who you can pair with James Robinson and have a great combination in the backfield.
1: The Jaguars right now nationally are kind of a a tough team to get a read on because they weren't much of the pre-draft conversation, given that everyone knew they were going to take Trevor Lawrence. We were talking about the 49ers, talking about the Falcons, talking about every team but the Jaguars because there was nothing to talk about. And they were 1-15 last year. what's What's your guess as to what it's going to take for them? How many wins for us to say, okay, this team's on the right track?
2: they'll win five or six games this year. They have the talent now to win five or six games. They have a quarterback who, in my opinion, even if he has a 1998 Peyton Manning year where he throws 28 interceptions or whatever it was, 24, you know, even if he has that kind of year, he's going to grow. I just look last year, Mike. Two of the top three quarterbacks picked. They were both on their way to to gigantic seasons. And obviously Justin Herbert had one. Joe Burrow would have had one and will be great in my opinion. I don't say that lightly. I believe Joe Burrow is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. And so there's no reason why Trevor Lawrence doesn't come in and win two or three games that nobody sees him nobody sees coming beating Indy, let's say, or beating Tennessee in Nashville they're going to do some things that will surprise people. And I, one of the reasons why I think people don't really understand the Jaguars now, Joe Cullen, the new defensive coordinator. No one really knows Joe Cullen right now. You know, comes from Baltimore where he was a really great some, defensive some, line some coach. Do. Yeah. Some yeah, I understand that. But also, what are they going to be on offense exactly? Look at Brian Schottenheimer right now. And everybody looks at Brian Schottenheimer and says, eh, meh, you know. But Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel on offense, to me, are two guys that, that are going to be great to introduce Trevor Lawrence to, uh, NF, uh, to an NFL offense and are going to be able to tell him some really good shortcuts that he's going to need to know. So you got veteran coaches uh, on both sides of the ball. And I think Urban Meyer is basically going to say, I hired you guys to
1: coach, take the reins. The schedule this year consists of all four teams from the NFC West, all four teams from the AFC East. The extra game is a visit from the Falcons. You know, in the division they could get some wins. It's it's just it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And you mentioned Peyton Manning and the 28 interceptions he had as a rookie. The record which still stands 23 years later. I guarantee you that he will be mapping out the schedule week in and week out, hoping that as many of those rookie quarterbacks are on the field because now with 17 games, <laughs> maybe finally someone yeah. will break that record. I talked to him about it. I think when Blake Bortles had gotten close in 2014, I think it was, he, he clearly – he jokes about it. He's good-natured about it. He's clearly bothered by the fact that he has held that record for so long and he really he would still like someone – Yeah. To do him the honor of breaking it. And with 17 games, there's one more chance for someone to do it. Right. The Dolphins are another team you've done some work on. And this is a team that fascinates me because they're still under the radar screen. We still don't know what to make of them. They had some good games last year. They had some moments. They ultimately didn't make the playoffs. So they fell on the fail side of the pass fail. Are you a successful team line? But they've worked the draft board masterfully. They keep building and building towards something. And, uh, the, you know, they're in a division that all of a sudden is pretty damn competitive with the Bills and the Patriots and who knows what Zach Wilson and the Jets are going to be. What's been your impression of the Dolphins based upon their draft?
2: When I look at the Dolphins right now, this is the first year where I've started to think, okay, they have stopped playing just for the future now. They believe right now if Tua Tagovailoa is the guy that they can win right now, Okay. Because if you look at that trade that they use Laramie Tunsil for, you know, tentacles of that trade basically are gonna last till 2023 when San Francisco's one is at least right now the last thing left from that Laramie Tunsil trade. But if you look at the way they drafted Mike and everybody said, why would you trade back from 12 to six to get Jalen Waddle? You could have stayed at 12 and, and had that extra number one next year. And their thought process, I believe, is very, very simple. We are ready to win now. We are prepared in 2021 to challenge anybody in the NFL and to win right now. So that's why, in my opinion, whereas I think maybe a year or two ago, if they had traded from 3 to 12, I'm not sure they would have gone back up to 6 and taken a future 1 and traded it to get back up to six so they could have gotten their receiver they clearly have said right now Mike we believe Jalen Waddell to our team right now is worth two first round draft choices and so that's what that's the difference in their drafts now they are picking players now that they believe can help them win both now and in the future the last thing I would say from that trade, from that uh, you know, from their future, from their past trades, Chris Greer now has gotten three new starters on his offensive line, and in my opinion, those three guys really have to be the building blocks because they're low-salaried guys, and they are guys who they think are going to take that offense into the future, along with Tua Tonga Valoa, but obviously. None of this really matters if Tua can't play. So this is a really important year for him, obviously.
1: The Jets gave Sam Darnold three years to declare himself one way or the other as a franchise quarterback in their estimation. And I think it helped them decide they were going to say he's not because they were in position to get Zach Wilson. How much time do you think Tua is going to get in Miami? The the logical thing to say
2: is that you saw the way Tua got yanked last year. And so clearly if he got yanked that way last year, Brian Flores has a good backup in Jacoby Brissett and he'll do it again this year. I think the one difference is last year they had Ryan Fitzpatrick who uh, was this is got one of the quirkiest careers in the 101 years of NFL history that he goes in and he wins that game in Vegas that they have no right to win you know, throwing a pass with somebody twisting his head like he's in The Exorcist. And so Ryan Fitzpatrick is just a different guy. I don't think that Brian Flores is going to have as quick a trigger, uh, you know, to pull Tua Tagovailoa for Jacoby Brissett just because I think they want to give Tua an absolutely full opportunity to win this job for the next 10 years. And I don't think they think you do that by yanking him in and out of the lineup.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. At some point, you got to let him fight through those moments one way or the other so he's better prepared for the next time those moments come along. And it may be that losing a game like that once or twice equips him to start winning games like that once he understands the emotions and the flow and everything that goes into trying to dig your way out of a hole that you've created for yourself based upon the early stages of a game. Let's pivot to the 49ers. There's been so much talk about that quarterback decision. And, you know, Sims and I said as they were caught up in this question of which guy is it going to be, and they they seem to be relishing the attention but also truly undecided – that whenever they did put a name on the card, they were going to try to sell as best they could the idea that whoever they take was the guy all along. And they're still trying to sell that, Peter. I just don't know how many people are buying it.
2: Well, look, you know, Kyle Shanahan had a very, uh, uh, you know, he had a long explanation for me, Um, two minutes and 37 seconds as to why they picked him. That's That's long in media parlance. And, you know, the longer that I talk to him, the more I believe him about Trey Lance. Because I think he believes that Trey Lance, in in the way that modern quarterbacks play, that is he as accurate, especially as accurate downfield, as Mac Jones is? No, he's not. But especially in modern football, when pockets collapse, and you know you have to make some plays on the run, that Trey Lance, that is his major advantage over Mac Jones. And I think, I believe, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan. But, Mike, I'll also say this. I think Kyle Shanahan legitimately struggled with this decision. He told me, uh, you know, on Saturday night, essentially that... There were times when I would look at the tape and I would say, this guy absolutely is the guy. And then the next day I would say, man, what what, what was I thinking? I would look at this play or I would think he only threw the ball 320 times or whatever in his college career at that level of competition. And he would question himself. But I think at the end of the day, the athleticism won over and he understands that he's not getting... as as precise a passer as he would be getting in Mac Jones. And I understand what Chris Simms says as a quarterback. You know, you can make plays all day from the pocket, you know, and he will. And I think that Mac Jones is going to have a very good NFL career. And I think he would have been good, really good in San Francisco. But I think the athleticism really convinced Shanahan to go uh, the, the other direction.
1: Yeah, I think it's the philosophical shift away from the Kirk Cousins-style quarterback who can run the play that's called exactly the way Kyle Shanahan wants it to be run. Every move, every hitch, every read, every throw, everything, he's basically an extension of Kyle Shanahan. And now Shanahan is embracing the Patrick Mahomes off-schedule abilities that when the play that's called goes to hell, instead of throwing it away, taking a sack— finding some way to just end it and move on to the next play, you've got a guy who can use his athleticism to create something on the fly. And that is so antithetical to the way Kyle Shanahan views offense. He views offense as everything is planned out and mapped out, and if we do it my way, we're going to crack the code of the defense and we're going to win the game. The last thing he wants is his quarterback out there running around like he's in someone's backyard just trying to make something happen. And and I think that was the tension. And that's why some believe that Mac Jones was the guy when they made the move and that someone or more than one someone's within the Forty ers organization gently nudged Shanahan over a period of five weeks toward Trey Lance. You know, if they do the trade the day they draft, if, maybe it is Mac Jones. If you are if if you are well, look, if
2: they don't make the trade, they would have drafted Mac Jones. If yep. they're sitting there you know, where they're where, you know where they're regularly going to draft you know say at number 12 they would have taken Mac Jones but I think what this got to be about Mike is this perception got out there that the 49ers are taking Mac Jones and honestly that was great for the 49ers because whether they ended up taking Mac Jones or not so the trade is made on on March 26th. Right, and right away, you know Chris Sims, who's obviously close to Kyle Shanahan, uh, Adam Schefter, who knows Kyle very well. They both basically said, "Hey, you know, we don't know what they're going to do, but we think that, uh, you know, that that the 49ers are going to take Mac Jones." And so, and some, and sometimes got even stronger than that. The reason I think that was good for the 49ers is that it allowed them to basically now even inside their own building. Kyle Shanahan told me, Mike, that when he thought that a coach was talking to him, you know, his offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, whatever, and thought that, well, I know you like Trey Lance because of this, that he would go back at him and he says, no, I like Mac Jones because of this. And and so he would never even tell. He told me that he did not tell the coaches on his staff until Trevor Lawrence was picked uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He said it was that important to us to keep an absolute lid on it.
1: But why? Peter, I don't get it. No one was gonna jump them for Trey Lance or Mac Jones. I think this is the old solution without a problem, being cute, trying to get some attention so you build a mystery so people tune in for the draft I think what it does now it sets up an apples-to-apples comparison between Trey Lance and Mac Jones and if Jones ends up being a star with the Patriots and Lance struggles in part because they stick him on the bench for a year or two behind Jimmy Garoppolo they are going to look like buffoons for giving up three first round picks and a third round pick to get Trey Lance
2: what if you're trying to convince the world that you're going to take Mac Jones what well, if there's the five teams out there? What if what if there's five teams out there that have have engaged you to some degree about Jimmy Garoppolo and have talked to you a little bit about trading for Garoppolo and you have said all along we're not trading Garoppolo unless you give us a one. And so now if there's a bunch of teams out there and who knows, maybe it's New England, maybe it's four or five other teams who eventually were going to take a quarterback in this draft and who say, well, if they secretly love Mac Jones the way the 49ers really liked Mac Jones and they know they're not going to get him, maybe they pay the 49ers a one for Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, that never happened. That's all I can think of, Mike, that that it was to their advantage to convince teams that they were taking Mac Jones because then... Some team that wanted Mac Jones was then going to have to engage him on Garoppolo.
1: I just think they've been all over the place, and I don't think it's nearly as strategic as they want us to think. I think they got freaked out by the fact that they whiffed on Mahomes. They got freaked out by the fact that they said no thank you to a Tom Brady homecoming, and both of those guys were in the Super Bowl last year, and they got desperate. And now they're trying to make it look like they had a plan all along. And I think the plan was, holy crap, what do we do to fix this situation at quarterback? Let's throw three first-round picks and a third-round pick onto the pile, and we'll figure out later what it is that we're going to do. And now they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, and they're trying to sell the idea that he's going to be the wire-to-wire starter in 2021, and I don't buy that either. All right, we got to take a break. Speed round coming up when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: I'm ready to go! Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich
2: and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And
0: they'll have to hide their true identity. What What do you need for work?
1: I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now, only on Peacock. Today's speed round is brought to you by Verizon. Peter King, Mike Florio here for another half hour. Or so let's get to it. Which doesn't belong and why edition of the Verizon 5G speed round, Peter? Let's begin with quarterbacks taken in round one after the first two picks in the draft Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Which doesn't belong and why?
2: I would say Trey Lance because I think it is most likely that those other two guys are going to play before Trey Lance does even though that would you would think that's a surprise because Trey Lance goes number three. But I think if Garoppolo stays healthy and the 49ers are winning, he hangs on to the job.
1: I'll say it's Justin Fields because I think he's got the easiest path to being the week one starter, even though when the Bears went down this road in 2017 with Mitchell Trubisky, they did give Mike Glennon the first month of the season to prove that he wasn't the answer. But I think Fields will leapfrog Andy Dalton and play week one. And I think after I've had a chance, because we've, we've kind of gone back and forth on this, and I'm I'm content to say now I think Fields is the most likely to be the week one starter. I may have said something different earlier this week. I really can't recall. But if you can't beat out Andy Dalton, all due respect to Andy Dalton, wh- wh- why, why did they give up next year's first-round pick to go get you? It's that simple. And I think Fields has – every chance, and will be given every chance to beat out Andy Dalton, Peter.
2: I think you're right, but I don't necessarily think that... Uh, I mean, I think he's definitely going to play before Lance does. Um, and and whether that's week one or week five, you know it's coming.
1: Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills. That was the next cut of quarterback taken late round two, early round three by the Buccaneers, Vikings, and Texans, respectively, which doesn't belong and why? Trask Mond Mills.
2: I'd say Davis Mills. That, to me, was the the one pick in this draft of every pick other than, say, Alex Leatherwood, where I just said, what? you got to be kidding me. Alex Leatherwood, 17. But to me, Davis Mills was so compelling because it said so much. And I don't care that Nick Casario says, that this, in essence, this has nothing to do with, with uh, Deshaun Watson. Yes, it does. It certainly does. When you have one pick in the top 80 and you pick a quarterback, even though the only franchise player on your team right now is a quarterback, oh, it says a lot about the quarterback. So to me, I think Davis Mills is the one that totally sticks out there.
1: I think this ship has sailed, though, on Deshaun Watson and the Texans. The question is, when will they be able to trade him, and will they be able to find a partner before he potentially lands on the commissioner exempt list all year long, and they pay him more than $10 million to not play? That's what they're hoping to avoid. Either way, he's not going to be on the field for them this year or ever, so they got to move forward. And they've got Tyrod Taylor for now, and and they traded for Ryan Finley, and now they use that draft pick on Davis Mills. To me, the one that doesn't stand out is Kellen Mond, or that does stand out among the others is Kellen Mond, because I think he's in the perfect position to both develop and compete. And, look, the Vikings are in a tough contractual spot with Kirk Cousins, and I don't think he's going to be there in 2023. And uh, Cousins has told me, "I, I feel no compulsion to extend my contract. Well, the Vikings aren't going to be able to franchise tag him as a practical matter. they got to have a plan B. And plan B between now and the end of the 2022 season could become plan A if Kellen Mond develops the way that he could. And the fact that Sims had him installed at number four on his list ahead of Fields and Lance really stands out to me. So I'm fascinated by what Mond possibly can do. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, the top three receivers drafted by the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the Eagles, respectively, which doesn't belong and why.
2: I think Jalen Waddell, because not only is he going to be used obviously a lot in the regular offense and perhaps every down, but I also think that uh, Brian Flory is going to use him as an explosive player in the return game. Um, It's possible, not not likely, but it's possible that they have drafted a wide receiver and they have drafted Devin Hester, Uh, you know, because he has the kind of return ability the way they look at this guy, he has the kind of return ability that could impact the game as much as his ability as a receiver.
1: I'm going to go with Smith, number one, because I think he's incredibly talented and he was unfairly knocked for only being 166 pounds at the Indianapolis medical check, but also the psychology of receivers being drafted, not the first one, off the board and also not the first one from your school off the board that extra level of motivation that will light the fire for a guy like Devonte smith to be even better than he yeah otherwise would have been if he'd been the first receiver taken it's the michael thomas dynamic when he fell around too behind a bunch of receivers who ended up being frankly nothing in the nfl that pissed him off so much peter that it willed him to be great and i think Devonte smith can take the fact that Jalen Waddle went before him. Jamar Chase went before him. He fell down to the bottom of the top 10 that he can use that as that extra thing that maybe separates him in a way that he otherwise wouldn't have separated.
2: Here's the one thing that really sticks out in my pre-draft research um, this year. I had a veteran general manager who is not given to saying such things. And he said, Peter, Devontae Smith is one of the best football players I've ever scouted. And, you know, you hear that and you say, whoa, that's, that's an amazing statement from a guy who's been around the league for as long as this guy has. And I think the reason why so many people fell in love with Devontae Smith and why, in my opinion, if he continues to do this in Philadelphia, he will be a huge fan favorite. And that is he, even at his size... He is a physical receiver who wins the contested balls. And, you know, most of the guys who are going to cover him are going to be bigger than he is. So that is what is going to be really interesting to watch. I'm fascinated by the pick of Devontae Smith. I think that's going to be such a... He's going to be such a fun player to watch in the next few years.
1: Let's flip it over to the defense, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa of the Browns, Christian Barmore of the Patriots, and Trevin Morig, defensive players who slipped in the draft, which doesn't belong and why?
2: I will say Christian Barmore because, uh, and without any doubt, every team has a plan for who they pick in this draft. But I think Christian Barmore is interesting to consider in this case because if you get drafted by the Patriots as an interior defensive lineman, Bill Belichick has an exact thought about how you're going to be used and how you're going to be used from opening day on. And so my feeling is that you are going to see probably as an impact player early on,
1: Christian Barmore have the best chance to be that. And these guys slipped out of round one because there was some talk about his work ethic, even though Nick Saban came out and defended him. And Belichick's got that pipeline to Nick Saban. I'm sure Belichick knows everything there is to know about Nick Saban, the king of the ands and the buts in the draft reports. And you're going to (laughs) get a candid, unvarnished look from Saban. And Belichick clearly uh, satisfied with that. I'll go with Owosu Koromoa. The Browns considered taking him in round one. He continued to slide to round two. They traded up to get him with the Macho Man pick. Remember Macho Man preening around on the stage? Not the real Macho Man, but a guy who impersonates him. They got Owosu Koromo, and they were thrilled to get him. Three-down linebacker will be on the field, will make things happen, and gives them a nice presence between an excellent front line of the defense and a very good back end. He could end up being a great player in that defense. All right, general managers criticized For their drafts this year, which doesn't belong, and why? Mike Mayock, Kevin Colbert, and Nick Casario. I don't know why Colbert's on the list. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't belong just for that reason. But Mayock, Colbert, Kevin Colbert does not belong
2: on this list. Kevin Colbert doesn't belong on this list, and I I think probably people put him on the list because they're saying, "Why did you pick Najee Harris instead of the best available offensive lineman?" You know, at twenty four, and I think that the, the the Steelers have something in mind. And what they have in mind is using Najee Harris as what he wants to be in the NFL. And I talked to him last Saturday. And, and what he wants to be is he wants to be an every down running back who you, who is used the way they used Le'Veon Bell. They used a lot in the passing game. Used, obviously, between the tackles, but obviously having enough juice to get outside the tackles as well. And so... I think the Steelers thought, let's get this great offensive weapon right here and fill in on the offensive line after this, where in you rounds know, 2 3 rounds two, three, four, there are usable players and players we can work with after that.
1: I, I, I agree with you about that, and Colbert told me this week that they do intend to use him as a three-down back. Mayock stands out to me just because I feel like he's being set up to be the next guy out in Las Vegas. Where's Gruden the past week? Has there been anything from Gruden? Has he spoken to anyone? Did he do any of the press conference? It was all Mayock, Mayock, Mayock. He's the one who's being hung out to dry. And if they fail this year, I think Mayock is the guy that Gruden is going to push overboard, even though Gruden is the guy who's driving the bus Uh, And he's driven it over Paul Gunther. And I think he's going to drive it over Mike Mayock unless the Raiders get to the postseason this year. All right, let's take a break. When we return our Friday PFT Live Draft, we'll do that right after this.
0: Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon. Built right for business.
1: So the folks at Pro Football Focus started posting who's stopping this offense with various skill position players. A quartet fits nicely in a tweet. And then Twitter had fun with it, and that's when it really took off because some not-so-good quartets showed up. Sorry, Brady Quinn and Trent Richardson and Greg Little and whoever else that is down there. Who's number two? Is that Trent Edwards for the Buffalo Bills? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, boy. 49ers have come a long way since that quartet. So, uh, So we look for inspiration anywhere we can, Peter for our drafts so our draft is legitimate serious best current foursome on offense any four players you want on offense that's today's draft trivia question is this which is the last team that put an offensive quartet in the hall of fame um wow um
2: the Pittsburgh, no, they never put a tight end. I don't know the answer to that.
1: Who is it? The Steelers did, but the Buffalo Bills, the K-Gun Buffalo Bills. Although, I'm oh, going to draw good. a blank here. Who was the offensive lineman? Who was the offensive lineman? Obviously, it's Kelly, it's Reed. Oh, well, Lofton. It'd, it'd oh, it'd because James Chet. Lofton? That, yeah. 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 Lofton, Because I was thinking Hollis a tight end, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, today's topic, then. Any four offensive so players... Go. The top four, look, I, how can I not go Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Rob Gronkowski? I mean, I wanted to use a running back, but they don't have one that really stands out. They got Ronald Jones. They got Leonard Fournette. I got to go Brady, Evans, Godwin, Gronk. I got to. I got to. They're the champions. I. I that's
2: who I would have picked, but I'll take Kansas City. I'll take Mahomes, Kelsey, uh, Tyreek Hill, and I'll take McCole Hardman over uh anybody else including C- Clyde Edwards Hilaire and I'll just throw the ball 65 times a game
1: you know isn't it funny though as we try to do this it is for most of them like the Beatles like three guys with talent and then Ringo Starr like who's the fourth guy like for some of them <laughs> I'm sorry Ringo uh, the, the, let's offend the lone survive. Oh no. Paul McCartney's alive too, unless he isn't. All right. Let me, let me go. Let's offend both of them. <laughs> well, let me, well, I mean, if you play the records backward, they're sending you messages. He buried I Paul. I buried Paul. All right. Uh, let me go with, uh, the Browns is the Browns because they got Baker Mayfield. They got OBJ. If he's healthy, they got Jarvis Landry. And they got Nick Chubb. And, and there is no Ringo Starr among that group. So, uh, hey, it's uh, we got to get our brains around the idea that the Browns are no longer the Browns. And they deserve to be included in lists like this, Peter.
2: Okay, I am going my next one. I'm going to pick the Atlanta Falcons. And, Mike, I'll tell you this right now. I'm picking the Atlanta Falcons even if they trade Julio Jones. And I think there's a 60-40 chance that before July 25th they trade Julio Jones. We'll see, but I'm going to keep Julio Jones on there and go Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Matt Ryan. In my opinion, that quartet would make some beautiful music together.
1: I am going to take a leap of faith here, and I agree with you on the Falcons. I'm going to take a leap of faith that Joe Burrow is going to be ready to go week one because, hey, we got to stay in the AFC North. We're going to stay in Ohio. Who would have ever dreamed that I'd peg both of the Ohio teams as having dangerous quartets, but you got... Joe Burrow, you got Joe Mixon, you got Jamar Chase, and then yeah, go ahead and put Tyler Boyd on there. You can put T. Higgins in too. I mean, let's go five deep. But yeah, if, if Chase is as good as they think he's going to be, and we know Mixon, who's been running behind not much of an offensive line, is capable of being very good. Burrow was great last year until he got injured. I think the Bengals, again, changing perceptions in this new NFL where the Ohio football teams not only are relevant, but they have great offenses. So give me those four.
2: I got an upset special for my next one, Mike, and that's the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford and a guy who, if he's healthy for 17 games, I think is going to gain 1,300 yards, and that's Cam Akers. I think he's going to be one of the best backs in the league this year. And then at wide receiver, I'll take Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, although to me, Van Jefferson this year, who is going to play a lot, Has a very good chance of catching 60 or more balls with a really good yards per catch average. So I'll take the Rams for my next one.
1: Oh, and they have Deshaun Jackson and they have Tutu Atwell. Amazing what that offense can be. And those pieces that Sean McVay. I just don't count on
2: Deshaun Jackson. You know, we're we're at the point where
1: it's almost like whatever he gives you is a bonus. And, and that's the key. If he just shows up for a game or two and gives you 150 yards and a couple of touchdowns, that may be the difference between winning the division and not. All right, let's do a fourth round. I, I'll, I'll go with the Vikings here because even though you know there's questions about how good the defense is and the offense sputters at times, between Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, that is a very potent quartet. Uh, they just need to put it all together this year and they need to hope the offensive line can allow those four to get the most out of their abilities, Peter.
2: Look, I, it, to me, it's easy. How could how could eight teams be picked where you're looking for a great quartet and we don't choose in the first seven, the Buffalo Bills? You know, with Josh Allen, you know, with uh, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. And look, I'll take for my next guy, a guy who I think is going to have a breakout year. And that's Devin Singletary. Um, I, I, I think he has sort of been, I don't, I don't want to say shocked into thinking that, okay, you just got to get better and you got to get better at everything. And I think he will this year. I think he's going to be a really good back for them this year.
1: You know, I had the bills started because you got to have Josh Allen. You got to have Stephon Diggs, but it's one thing to struggle with the fourth. one. I struggled with three and four. And if you got to struggle with three, I thought you, you can't get on the list. And I didn't know, like struggle Cole, with Cole Beasley. I think I mean
2: Cole Beasley was my was my slot guy on my uh, yeah, on cool. my All Pro team last year. I thought he you was were great the one last year. So you were the, I one. the one. I was the one,
1: and I admit Thank it,
2: and I will defend you. it until I'm blue in the face or
1: whatever, red in the face. Let's let's take a break, and we'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. <laughs> one of the all-time great calls in nfl history from former referee ben dreith according to football zebras dreith recently passed away at the age of 96 uh I, i'll take 96 if i can get it peter but uh ben dreith very very colorful a character we could use a ben dreith or two among the ranks of the nfl officials nowadays they're robotic in comparison to ben dry of course i think anybody would be robotic in comparison to ben dry
2: you can tell how officiating has changed because now you have your your buff Cleet blakeman come in and say in very precise terms unnecessary roughness defense number 93 15 yards repeat first down or whatever All right, now you know, didn't you see Ben Dreythe? He sort of sashayed up to the camera or or up to the sideline. And he he basically just said, hey, he's giving him the business down there. It was classic. It was fun. It was great. And it was what the NFL has tried to legislate out of the game.
1: With the actual (laughs) signal, the unofficial, the unofficial arm signal (laughs) for giving him the business. That's not in the rule book. I've looked for it. Uh, There it is. Personal foul. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. He's giving He's him the good. business. Owner, the top of the three. <laughs> um, all right, we got PFTPM coming classic, up later yeah. today. Miles Simmons and I, we call it the one week closer to death edition of PFTPM. Uh, Monday morning, football morning in America, Peter. What can we look forward to?
2: Well, I, I spent a little bit of time in Miami uh, over draft weekend, so I'm going to write a little bit about what I found And, you know, really, Mike, here's the amazing thing. Chris Greer has been the lone GM, lone personnel guy atop the Miami Dolphins. For 28 months, he's made 28 trades. So there's a hint about what I'm going to write about.
1: That is amazing. And Greer deserves so much more praise than he's gotten for the way that they have worked that board, they have worked their assets, and they're trying to become a competitive team. That's it for today. We appreciate some of your time. See you at 5 p.m. Eastern for PFTPM. Have a great day.